You are listening to Not By Works with Dr. J.B. Hickson, advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, He washed it white as And now with today's message, here is Dr. Hickson. I believe the Bible is the Word of God, and every word of God is flawless. I mean, just think about those words for a moment. The Word of God. That's what we call the Bible. It is the very Word of God. 3,800 times the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord. And God's Word, therefore, is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Why not? I mean, why wouldn't it be? It's the very Word of God, and He knows what's best. He made us, He created us, and He gives us the blueprint for living. It's the instruction manual for life. God's Word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. When we study the Bible, it pierces our hearts and changes our lives. God's Word is the only foundation upon which we build our beliefs, attitudes, and practices. When God gave us His Word, within the very pages of written Scripture, He revealed to us everything we need for life and godliness. And it's in this book that we find these words in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That means that faith, for those who are lost and need to be saved from the penalty of sin, comes by hearing the Word of God and specifically the gospel that it proclaims, that good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. But Romans 10, 17 also means that faith for those who've already been saved to grow spiritually mature day by day also comes by hearing the word of God. Well, hello, everyone. My name is JB with Not By Works Ministries. Thanks for joining us for the radio program today. Today on the program, we're looking at Romans chapter 3, and I'm titling this message, Were It Not for grace. Were it not for grace. Now this is a radio program obviously so you cannot see me but if you could you'd see that I hold in my hand something that has become commonplace in our culture. It's called an installment plan. You know how it works. You purchase something, a new car, a new television, maybe a washer or dryer by paying a certain amount of money up front and then so much a month until you finally really own the item. For example, this one that I have here is a statement from a car loan. It shows the monthly payment, principal and interest, balance owed, and the number of remaining payments before the car will be paid off. What this shows is that the car does not actually belong to me just yet. After a long time and a series of repeated payments, the debt can be erased and the car might really belong to me, but right now it doesn't. We call that installment buying. You know, a lot of people are trying to be saved on the installment plan. You ever thought about that? They think they must pay for their sins by offering God some kind of pledge or promise up front, followed by a certain amount of good works every day or week or month. In other words, they seem to have the idea that God will erase some of the debt of their sins each time they do something good. They're trying to be saved on the installment plan. Boy, I hope none of our listeners has this idea, because if you do, you know what? You'll never be saved. There's no other way to put it. I know that sounds blunt. But there is no number of installments of good works that can pay our sin penalty. The Bible says in Titus 3, 5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. That's the theme verse 
for our ministry. We are passionate here at Not By Works about the accuracy, clarity, and urgency of the gospel message, which is not by works of righteousness, but according to His mercy. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Romans 4, 5 says, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness, Romans 4, 5. Do you know how God does settle the debt of sin? By faith. Romans 5, 1 says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. For example, when God saved Abraham, he said that Abraham's faith at that very moment reckoned to him for righteousness. It was, it was accredited to his account. That means that when Abraham believed, his faith was put on his account as payment for his sins. Now, you may not no Greek, but, but let me tell you that in the original Greek, this statement also means that God settled Abraham's account all at once. There was no installment plan on which Abraham was being saved. God did not hand Abraham a book of payment coupons the moment he believed. No, the instant he believed, God fully and forever settled the debt of sin, and God has been doing the same ever since. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Colossians 1.20 says, and by him, that's Christ, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. You know, in Romans chapter 9 and 10, Paul reflects on this whole idea of installment plan salvation versus once for all salvation at the moment. Of faith. And Paul is addressing the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel thought in Paul's day that they could be saved simply by works. Listen to what Paul says in, in Romans chapter 9 and beginning in verse 30. What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? Now let me paraphrase that for you. Let me give you the, the, the J.B. Hickson paraphrase here. What shall we say, that, that Gentiles are debt-free? They own their eternal salvation scot-free outright. Meanwhile, these Jews who zealously and religiously and ritualistically make their payments on time every month, even paying early and going above and beyond faithfully for years, yet they themselves have not attained to righteousness? And Paul says, absolutely. He says, you see, Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith but as it were, by the works of the law. You see, they stumbled at the stumbling stone. He goes on to say in Romans 10, 2, I bear them witness, talking about Israel, that they have a, a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. You see, they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. They were trying to earn their standing before a holy God through a coupon book installment plan. And Paul says that won't work. See, Christ, he says, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. When Abraham believed God, he was declared righteous once for all, positionally at that moment. 2,000 years ago, there lived a group of people who had become experts on the installment plan road to heaven. They're called the scribes and the Pharisees. They lived life according to a 613 installment legal code that said, as long as we keep making these payments of good works, we will be first in line to enter the kingdom. But Paul says, nope, that's not going to work. There's good news. It's called the gospel. 
And the reason that the gospel is such good news, and that's what the word means, is that no matter how good you are, no matter how many payments of good works you make, no matter how righteous you are, it's not enough. The righteousness that God demands is perfect righteousness, and that's where grace comes in. Grace accomplishes what we could never accomplish on our own. Grace. Most people have no idea what the word grace means, and I'm amazed at how many believers really don't fully appreciate the meaning of grace. Grace is God's righteousness at Christ's expense. God's righteousness at Christ's expense. You know, were it not for grace, our lives would be plagued by three unenviable characteristics. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. What's Paul saying there? He's saying that even the Old Testament law and prophets pictured salvation by faith. Uh, the righteousness of God that only comes by faith, and Abraham is the quintessential example. But now we see explicitly spelled out in this New Testament uh, book, Romans, that Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Spirit, that the righteousness of God only comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood. Propitiation just means the satisfying of God's wrath. When Christ shed His blood, it paid the penalty, and it satisfied the wrath of a holy God against sin. Remember what God had said in the garden. He would said, if you would eat of this one tree, you're going to die. He, he tried to warn us. He, he loves us so much, he, he wanted to protect us from the death-dealing consequences of sin. And He said, don't eat of that one tree. Of course, what did we do? We have free will. We went over. We took a big bite. And then God, because he's God and not a liar, because he's not a fickle, unfaithful God, but true to his word, of course, the, the punishment for sin had to be meted out. And it was. And yet God, even still, in his immeasurable love, said, in spite of the fact of my justice and holiness and righteousness that demands that sin be paid for, I'm going to go all out and do everything I can to rescue you from the penalty of sin, which he did by setting forth his son, Jesus, as a propitiation by his blood, through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he, God, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Were it not for grace, I would always wonder, am I good enough? You see, grace absolves doubt. I would be left trying to obtain righteousness on my own. Have I done enough? You know, what God demands for entrance into heaven is perfect righteousness. That's pretty clear. Um, the righteousness of God. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48, you've got to be perfect. Um, you have to be perfect. So, so were it not for grace, I would always wonder, am I good enough? How, how good is good enough? We need grace because without it, we could never measure up. You know, there's, there's one scholar out there, if I mentioned his name, you'd probably know who it was, but I, I don't want to make you think I'm being critical, um, but I couldn't disagree more with the way this scholar describes salvation. He says that there, quote, can be no doubt that what God will require at the final judgment for entrance into heaven is some measure of real, lived out, visible good works. Well, if that's true, then I'd like to know how much. Some measure is, is too ambiguous for me. If I've got to meet some arbitrary standard or measure of real, lived-out, visible good works, let me know how much. And see, were it not for grace, 
Were it not for grace, I would always wonder, am I good enough? But grace absolves doubt. It says it's God's righteousness at Christ's expense. Grace, G-R-A-C-E. The very thing we need most, we can never earn. And the very thing we need most, Christ purchased with his blood and gives us free of charge. It's a gift. You know, most people think salvation is a contract where you sit down and bargain with God. And if I, you know, like, like you're sitting down with a used car salesman trying to, to work out a price, right? And you go back and forth and you're talking about interest rates. But you finally kind of come to a meeting of the minds. You shake hands. You say, you've got a deal. And you walk out of the store with a shiny new red Buick or whatever it may be. Uh, you know, red Oldsmobile, let's say. Um, and, 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 but, but also in your pockets, you've got this coupon book for the next four, five, six years. You're going to be paying. You don't really own that car. And, and a lot of people think salvation's that way, that they, they came to the table and said, I'm going to do this and do that and promise to do this and pledge to, the, to do this. And, and, and over my lifetime, I will have some measure, to quote that writer that I mentioned a moment ago, uh, I'll have some measure of real lived out visible good works, but they don't really know how much. You know, at least when you buy something on credit, you've got a finite number of um, installment payments to make. 60 payments and it's yours, you know. Uh, 360 uh, payments and, and the house is yours, you know, uh, whatever it may be. Um, but with this type of teaching that, that obliterates grace, it leaves you always wondering, how many more payments do I have to make? Have I made enough? You see, we can never measure up. We can never measure up on any type of uh, plan of salvation that involves a promise or pledge to do right. You know, frequently when I'm talking to people about the gospel, even believers, whom I have no doubt are saved, somewhere along the way they understood in simple childlike terms the fact that they're a sinner, Jesus took their place on the cross, paid their personal penalty for sin, and only by trusting in Him can they have eternal life. And yet then as they grow up, they get influenced by bad teaching, performance-oriented works-based teaching, commitment-based teaching that obliterates grace. And so they've come to believe, uh, doctrinally incorrectly, that somehow they brought something to the table, that they sat down at the bargaining table and they gave something to the Lord. And I was talking to someone recently, and they, they used the phrase, you know, when, when, you, when you, get a, you get saved, you know, people can't just believe the gospel. They've got to know what they're getting into, right? And I thought that, that perfectly describes the erroneous view of grace. Most people think salvation is about counting the cost, and you've got to know what you're getting into. But counting the cost is a discipleship issue. It's for believers to know every day as they wake up, are they going to live by faith and walk in the Spirit, or are they going to live in the flesh? Are they going to cater to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, or are they going to truly abide in Christ, faithfully following Him? No, salvation isn't about knowing what you're getting into. Salvation is about knowing what you're getting out of, knowing what you're escaping. Salvation is nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I cling. I am drowning terribly in muck and mire of sin, and nobody can save me or rescue me but Jesus Christ. And I simply reach out and take hold of what he did for me, saying, Jesus, I trust in you and you alone as the only one who can save me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me and giving me the gift of eternal life. Then, as a newborn babe in Christ, a new believer in Christ, of course, the Holy Spirit takes up residence immediately upon our faith, just as we said. It's instant. Abraham didn't believe God and get a coupon book. He believed God and got right then credited in full to his account the perfect righteousness of God. 
And positionally, that's all God sees uh, in terms of him getting into heaven or not. But we still have a life to live on this earth. We still have a sin nature. We still have the flesh. The flesh lusts against the spirit. The spirit lusts against the flesh. The two are contrary to one another. And the challenge of the Christian life is to live like the new man and not live like the old man. And uh, what we need to understand is if we do live like the old man, there are serious consequences of that. It's never a good idea to sin. It's never a good idea to cater to the flesh. But in terms of our account in heaven, it is already done. We are positionally righteous. And when you approach the gospel in terms of you got to know what you're getting into or you got to bring something to the table or you can't just simply believe the gospel, uh, you're missing the whole point. The gospel, by definition, is a gift. And a gift, by definition, is free. If you had to pay something for it or promise something for it or pledge to pay it back, it's not a gift. It's not a gift. And grace is just that. It's a gift. Romans 3.24 says, We're justified freely by His grace. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. So we have to watch ourselves because, you know, we catch ourselves saying these types of things regularly. You know, you've you got to know what you're getting into. Someone can't simply believe the gospel. Well, it's funny that the Bible 160 times says all you have to do is believe the gospel and you're saved. Um, and so uh, salvation isn't a contract. We don't have to, you know, bring something to the, the bargaining table. We simply come empty-handed and, and acknowledge our sin and, and understand the penalty of that sin and our need for a Savior, and Jesus Christ saves us. Were it not for grace, I would always doubt and wonder, have I done enough? Were it not for grace, though, I, I would simply die in my sins. That's the profound teaching of Romans 3. Uh, you know, grace uh, is the only remedy for sin. You know, if a person dies without being saved, and spends eternity in hell, what put them there? You ever thought about that? We, we contemplate these type of you know, questions all the time, philosophical questions. When a person dies and spends eternity in hell, what put them there? Why do the lost spend eternity in hell? Is it because of their sin or is it because of their unbelief? Well, the answer is both. I mean, think about it. Let's say someone is bitten by a deadly poisonous snake and must receive the antidote to keep from dying. If they do not get the antidote, would we say they died because they were poisoned by the snake bite? Or did they die because they did not get the antidote? Well, the answer is both. Or again, if someone bleeds to death, did they die because they bled to death? Or did they die because no one stopped the bleeding? The answer is both. The penalty of sin is eternal separation from a holy God. And left unremedied, sin will inflict its penalty on all who die in unbelief. But those who believe the gospel receive positional forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Jesus put it this way in John 8, 24. Therefore, I say to you, you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. Let me say that again, John 8, 24. Jesus says, I said to you, you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Sin kills. Ultimately, it separates us from a holy God. Faith redeems us from sin. Jesus said in John 5, 24, Most assuredly, I say to you, who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. At the moment we trust Christ, we are rescued from the penalty of sin. And were it not for grace, I would die in my sins. And were it not for grace... Were it not for grace, I would spend my life hopelessly lost, looking for redemption in all the wrong places. You know, Proverbs 27, 7 says, The satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. You know, 
Millions of people, perhaps billions throughout the world, are desperately, frantically, in, in utter panic, searching for some way to measure up, scrambling to find some way to deal with their sin problem, scrambling to make themselves morally right before a holy God. Because according to Romans 1, we all know, we all know that uh, we're sinners in need of a Savior. And we all know there's a God. And we all know that we don't measure up. But instead of coming to faith and receiving the payment for sin that's already been paid on our behalf, most people are trying to change the standard. That's what's going on with this gay marriage thing. I'm convinced beyond a shadow of doubt that homosexuals know that what they're doing is innately wrong. That type of behavior, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at biology of males and females and recognize this isn't the way it's supposed to be. I have no doubt that they think it's, they understand it's wrong on some level. They may have a seared conscience and convinced themselves it's right, but they know it's wrong. So what are they doing? They're trying to make it right. They're, they're like a, an archer shooting arrows into a, the side of a barn and then running up afterwards and, and, and painting a big bullseye around the arrow so they can say, see, what I'm doing is dead on. In reality, they've missed the bullseye by a mile. See, were it not for grace, I would spend my life hopelessly lost looking for redemption in all the wrong places. But Romans says there's only one who is the justifier of everyone who has faith in Jesus. Only one can declare you righteous, and that's God. It is God who justifies, Romans 8.33. We are justified by faith and therefore have peace with God, Romans 5.1. To him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. That's the essence of grace, undeserved, unmerited favor and love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If we fail to trust in the one and only source for righteousness, we end up searching far and wide for anything and everything that might fill that void. But were it not for grace, my life would be filled with doubt on the fast track to death and flooded with desperation. Were it not for grace, none of us would have any hope. But because of grace, we have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. What about you? Do you need grace today? Has there been a time in your life when you've trusted in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died and rose again for your sins? He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Have you received the gift of eternal life? Or are you still scratching and clawing, trying to find some other way to be perfect? There's no other way only through Jesus. We'd love to hear from you and tell you more about the gospel here at Not By Works. You can reach us at 1-800-895-1851. That number again, 1-800-895-1851. And we encourage you to check out our website at notbyworks.org where you'll find lots of uh, great information about the gospel and a variety of other biblical topics to grow in your faith. Well, I invite you to join me again next time for Not By Works with Dr. J.B. Hickson as we look to the Word of God to strengthen our faith and change our lives. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Not By Works Ministries is committed to promoting the clear gospel message that eternal life is a free gift, available only through faith in Jesus Christ alone, who died and rose again for our sins. We seek to advance this clear message of God's amazing grace through our daily radio program and through a nationwide conference speaking ministry on a variety of biblical topics. We also have books, DVDs, CDs, and other biblical resources available through our online store at notbyworks.org. 
To learn more about our ministry or to schedule a Not By Works conference, please visit notbyworks.org. If you share our passion for the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the gospel, we invite you to join us in this mission by financially supporting our ministry. For a gift of any amount, we would like to send you a copy of Dr. Hickson's book, The Gospel Unplugged, Good News Plain and Simple. You may donate online at notbyworks.org or by calling 1-800-895-1851. That's 1-800-895-1851. You may also write to us at Not By Works, P.O. Box 101, Groveland, Illinois, 61535. Thanks for listening today, and remember Titus 3.5. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, He washed it white as snow.